0: What is going on ladies and gentlemen welcome back to the zero to Here podcast this episode of the podcast very very funny local comedian Dan Quinn is on the show uh, we start talking about golf because I love golf and apparently he does too he was in the midst of planning a wicked awesome dream golf trip where he went to Sunday well he went to the Sunday US Open which is crazy check out his social media for some awesome photos uh, we t- kind of talk all things comedy into how he got started, the art and structure of building a perfect joke, and he talks a lot about his uh, comedy tour called the Snowed In Comedy Tour, which tours across Canada every year, and I think he's been doing it for 11 years. He is in Vancouver this upcoming January 24th, 2020, but he's, uh, he's you can find him, locally at yuck yucks and all the comedy clubs in vancouver throughout the year as well check him out dan quinn dan thank you very much for making the trek out to new West today i am
1: super excited a day delayed but we're making it work yeah, this is amazing. I don't usually go more than ten blocks from my house for a <laughs> podcast, but luckily I didn't see New West in the title, so we're here. Somehow I charmed you into uh,
0: making the trick.
1: Trip. Yeah, I like
0: it. Uh, I want to start by talking about golf. You're a big golfer, yeah, and you got a big trip coming up this week.
1: Yeah, n- next week I'm heading to the next uh, week. U- U.S. Open. Yeah, so we're gonna do a kind of a golf dream trip along the way. Um, we leave on Thursday. We're gonna drive. Uh, pick up a friend in Seattle, we get two other guys coming from here, and then we're going to golf just south of Seattle, and then drive to Portland, go out to Portland, wake up, drive to Bandon Dunes, which is supposed to be one of the top courses in the United States, mm. uh, golf there, drive to Eureka, California, then drive a couple hours, golf, and then drive to San Jose, and then wake up, drive to Pebble Beach, and uh, spend the day watching the U.S. Open, and then make our way home. So, what, what day? We'll hey be at Sunday at the U.S. Open. And I did it at Chambers Bay. We went uh, in, in 2015 and got to see the pretty exciting finish where uh, Jordan Spieth, I don't know if you remember that one, it was his first Absolutely. U.S. Open yeah. win, and yeah. Dustin Johnson. So he was actually ahead by two strokes, and he came into the 17th hole where we were sitting because you couldn't move around much. And then the uh, he hit his, he had missed with his uh, his first shot So we had to chip on in a bad place and three-putted. And then he lost a double bogey. So all of a sudden now brought everybody else back in. Mm -hmm. And then we watched him tee off. And then Dustin Johnson was in the last group because he was leading that day. And then he hit that massive drive. And we were on the stands on 17, but you could oversee on 18. Yeah. So I got to yell, Baba Booey! <laughs> <laughs> and then So I came home that night and I'm like, I'm like my wife, I'm like, we got to fast forward to the very end and see if you can hear me say Baba Booey. And I got it in. And I don't, I, don't, I don't even know why people say Baba Booey, but they did. And I was like, I'm going to yell it. <laughs> so I got on that. And then uh, because there's, you have to bust in for all these things. It's not like you can just drive up in the park because there's almost, what, 80, 100,000 people there. Yeah. So you got to bust out. So what we did is we didn't see Dustin Johnson three putt. We went to the parking lot and watching all the big screens, uh, just where the buses picked up. They have this huge, like, there's a massive marketplace there for these things, right? Dude, That they're selling everything and they try to make it entertaining for the fans beyond the golf. And, uh, yeah, so we went there, watched him three-putt, and then got on the first buses so we could get the hell out of there. And Jordan Spieth won his first uh, U.S. Open. I guess his only one, but... uh,
0: DJ was on the green and two on a par five on 18, and three-putt from 12 feet.
1: What happened? How does that happen? It was really tough putting. Yeah, it was. That was a thing too. It was like, and even he said, it was like, there were the, the type of greens they were, the ball wouldn't roll necessarily straight. So it would, like the grass would kind of move it a little bit uh, left and right. So, and I, you know what I was, so I did, I like golf. I watched golf, but I didn't think it was to be exciting live. And I was wrong. It was actually really exciting live. We were sitting on the 13th earlier and Rory McIlroy was like way out of it. And then he went on a birdie run, like six birdies in a row. And then he came in a 13. And if he would have been there, he'd been one off the lead. And he put it four feet from the pin. And he just missed the putt. And I was like to my buddy, I'm like, I thought I was going to jump out of my seat. And he's like, so was I. And I'm like, we didn't <laughs> know golf could be like. But you just sort of get caught up in the tension and everybody in the crowd. And yeah, it was fun. So that's why we decided we we're going to go to Pebble Beach in 2019. And I'm the only one of the four. The two two guys just bailed. And I had to replace them. So, but yeah, it's gonna be a dream trip. Someone else bails. Uh, you got my phone yeah, number yeah. now. Because <laughs> you're you have, you have friends that pro golfer too, right? Yeah. yeah so yeah. I was gonna
0: say watching golf live. My only real experience is watching my buddy Mike, who just made Canadian Tour. Yeah. Uh, I didn't get to go to Point Grey. He played uh, his first event at Point Grey a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And then the second one in Victoria, I didn't get to go to the Point Grey one, but I went to Q School and I was the only one. Well, it was me and my friend. I was the only one what like following his group yeah yeah. <laughs> so it's dead quiet yeah right i can imagine a pga event with tens of thousands of people around is a little bit more high energy
1: <laughs> so uh wes heffernan again he's actually played the u.s open twice um i caddied for my buddy that same tournament for the try to qualify for the canadian open yeah and wes uh he won he was in part of our group and we're you know you get a lot of time i'm caddying but i'm caddying in the sense of i'm holding the clubs you know i'm not telling them <laughs> anything about the shots. It's just I wanted to go out and hang out. And he said that he played when Tiger Woods was there at Colonial in 2010. And he says he got up to one hole and all of a sudden, like the whole hole is like lined with people, like, you know, like five, ten thousand 10,000 people. And he's like, wow, some people watching are shots on this hole because nobody's been following their group at all and they realize tiger woods is on the hole that way so like <laughs> nobody's facing them like not one person is looking at him it's so, like everybody's following tiger woods and then they're they're out with like his family's with them like watching his shots and that's it like nobody nobody cares if you're you know not famous do you watch
0: golf at all
1: um maybe just some <laughs> like one of the bigger tournaments
0: on the weekend but No, not really. You can say no. We won't be a fan. It's comical to watch. Even on TV, you can tell. The crowds around Tiger are like 30,000, 40,000 deep. Like, it's crazy. (laughs) He makes a a bogey putt, and the clap is louder than someone on another hole making a birdie. Yeah.
1: It's insane. The only I watch golf. I watch it every weekend, but I PVR it. So it's like, you know, three, four-hour, like, four-hour round. But if you fast-forward and, like, skip all the commercials and stuff... You know, like in an hour and 20 minutes yeah, and then exactly. it's actually, you know, okay, this is an okay sport, you know, but you have to really, I, I get like, even right now people are tuning out being like, are they talking about golf? The most boring thing in the entire <laughs> world? Like, yeah, yeah, we are. <laughs> One better. of our
0: uh, most watched podcasts is actually Mike's. Really? After, or uh, do we do, we did it before, oh, we did it right after Q School before his first Canadian tour event. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. people like golf apparently.
1: Well, they, they do. Golfers are one of the highest paid athletes in the world because mm. also their demographic has a lot of money and is older that they love it. Yeah. You know, they're not so divided into 20 different sports, you know. Um, so yeah, like Jordan Spieth, I think pulled in like 60 million in 2015.
0: Well, Rory's Nike contract alone is 25 million a year.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And Tiger Woods, you know, he's a billionaire. <laughs> even
0: Even after losing like, what did he lose? $250 and in, his in divorce, divorce or something? Jeez. And he's back to almost a billion dollars in net
1: that <laughs> worth. Wow. That's all right.
0: What's your golf game look like? Have you, how long have you been playing?
1: Uh, so I've been playing since high school, but okay. I just played in high school, Didn't never took a lesson, nothing, just played with some buddies. And then I didn't play much through my 20s and 30s. And then in my like 30s, I started, I play pitch and butt. And then- Started playing a bit there, and then about five years now I've started taking it more seriously. Took a lesson for the first time last year and then took a couple lessons this year. So I I usually shoot now in the 80s. Um, but I had a bad round today, it was 95. So that's like a terrible round now, Mm is a 95, and it was just like just having just having trouble. Sometimes it that's the thing about the game. It doesn't make sense. Like you can be like consistent, consistent, and then all of a sudden, you know, your drive is like everywhere going and you're like I don't know what to do right now and just <laughs> hang on and you know buy new balls I guess that's all you can do
0: it's so frustrating some days mm-hmm.
1: even some days you feel like you're hitting
0: it right you're just missing the wrong spots and and you're taking bogeys instead of yeah having a birdie pet yeah even though you're hitting it well
1: yeah it can be or you know you just yeah bad lies and stuff like that too and that's part of the game or you know the course we're playing today had hazards on every single hole so you miss your drive it's a penalty stroke where a lot of times you just miss your drive and you're like, okay, so i got an uncomfortable shot and yeah. boom and no big deal. Um, but if you're missing and it's a penalty stroke, well, it adds a lot of strokes real quickly. <laughs> so,
0: yeah. Have you played out of town much? You said you're going on a big trip this week? Yeah, next this week. next week?
1: Yeah. Um, I'm in the interior and I've played, uh, do a gig in near Suquamish, not Squamish. Squamish is just, just outside of Seattle. Um, you have to take the Kingston Ferry, I guess it is. And there's a beautiful course there that they have a gig and I just, they own the casino and everything too. It's a native, uh, that owns a casino and the golf course, all that sort of stuff. So we had to play the course. It is beautiful. Cool. Yeah. But not not a ton. Alberta a little bit. I played in Calgary last weekend. Yeah. If
0: next trip I'd say, I'd suggest Palm Springs. Yeah. I'm there usually once a year in November with buddies for a golf trip and it's like the best place in the world. There's 110 golf courses within like a 45 minute drive.
1: My buddy went, to uh, Kevin Coles. I don't know if you know him, but he's a musician, mm-hmm. um, brother to Kiprios from like sweatshop union, Kiprios. Okay. And, uh, we golfed together quite a bit. He went to Palm Springs in November last year and like you got to, or sorry, he went in September, <laughs> but I'm like, I don't want to leave Vancouver in September. I want to go in November when it's crap here. You know, every day it's nice here. Why don't you spend money to leave town? Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Let's take a bit of a left turn. All Let's right. chat about comedy. Finally. <laughs> Left turn. <laughs> I bet you didn't see this coming. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, how'd you get into comedy? How long have you been doing stand-up? Uh, just over 25 years. Wow. Yeah. The game's changed a bit in those 25 years. A eh? little bit,
1: yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely <laughs> changed. There's a lot more places to do it and uh, in some ways harder to make money, you know. It was kind of more of a set. Like when I started, there was only really yuck yucks. There'd be a couple independent comedy clubs and that was it in Canada. And then, and even to to just do comedy, you pretty much had to go down to amateur night at the clubs. There wasn't like these, like now, you know, in Vancouver, you could probably do two or three sets a night. Like there's just all these places that are doing it, doing it like, but they're tiny little rooms that don't pay. Right. You know, so nobody, there's a lot more people doing a lot more stuff for less money. Is that right? Yeah. Like, you know, (laughs) then you were either an amateur or professional and you started getting paid. You were getting paid, right? If it was a comedy show, besides the amateur night, you were getting paid. We're now guys are like, I did four or five shows last week and made nothing. Like they're just doing a show every night for free. Just practicing. Yeah. But you know, if, as long as they're practicing, I don't know what some of them are doing. You know, like if you're not writing material or doing stuff, it's kind of, kind of tough too, you know, what got you into it? Um, besides stupidity and a (laughs) strong will to disappoint my parents, (laughs) uh, just, You know, I was a Seinfeld fan. Seinfeld had come on the air already, and I liked that, and I was into stand-up, and I was like, this would be fun, and I wanted to do acting. And I was like, oh, that kind of seems like an easier way to get into acting. Like, I didn't know how you even start acting. (laughs) Like, so I – and then uh, my buddy, actually, an interesting story, is my best friend, who was my roommate. I I saw for, like, a year I wrote jokes. I went to university, and I wrote jokes for a year. So I had this these notepads, and I would just write and write and write, and I didn't know what to – do with these jokes or how to even get on stage and then my second year at university my friend shad saw an ad in the newspaper saying comedians want it like like that's random right random. so like exactly like how would you like who hires comedians from a newspaper ad it shows how crappy this booking agency was that didn't know anything about comedians that you put an ad in the paper and this is like before online so like you know just like people read those ads and papers so i don't know i think he was looking for a job or something he's like hey they want comedians you should go in and apply so i was like okay so i i called and i was like hey i'd like to apply for the comedian job you know <laughs> so, so it was like guys like come in so i had like an interview to be a comedian so i didn't know much about interview i was a farm boy i go in there and uh i wore like a randy river one of my best you know that was my mom's idea of getting a nice shirt was this randy river with had like two-tone with like a circle on one side you know like uh you don't know if you remember those two-tone maybe that's before your time shirts but these two-tone and uh so i go in the guy's like okay so have you ever done comedy before he's like i'm like nope and he's like uh like but i got a book full of jokes and he's like <laughs> well you need to go down to amateur night and try them and i was like okay well how do i do that and he's like call in at yuck yucks um at noon on Thursday and they put you on the list. So I was in university at the time. So I'd class till 1220, but I didn't want to miss. So and you know, I had to go to payphone back then. So I uh this is all people are like, what is all this talk? <laughs> <laughs> and then you take your horse and carriage. <laughs> yes. So I uh left class at twelve o'clock on the button, just like twenty minutes before class was over. Went, called the payphone, I was like, Hey, can I get on tonight? And they're like, Yep. And I I, I thought And looking back, I thought there was probably hundreds of people calling. So I'd have to, I'd like wait till 1159 and then call at 12 (laughs) thinking they're like, we're not taking any calls before 12, like a radio station. You know, we're only taking the first six callers. I was probably the only person that gave a shit this much. And I could have called probably at any time that day and gotten on. Um, But I would call and got on. And then, uh, so yeah, I went and did my first amateur night that night. And actually the week before I went down, because it was Thursday when I went for the interview for the comedy interview. And uh I saw these guys on stage and the middle act. Cause I was like, I want to watch like what's happening the middle act. I was like, Oh, this guy's really funny. And I wanted to go meet him after, you know, I was like, I want to go tell this guy that he's hilarious. And, but I was like, you can't just go approach a comedian. There's, <laughs> you know, there's no way you can do that. Like, so I was too shy to go meet the other comedian. So a year later, I win the funniest comic in Edmonton contest. They fly me to Toronto for yuck yucks. And I'm in this, in the big contest there. And, uh, I don't win, but after the show, I think I got like third and the, this guy comes up to me. He starts he's like, man, that's bullshit. You were the funniest comic on the show. These guys aren't original. You were, you were great. And I start talking to him. And I'm like, Hey, do you have a joke about, uh, you know, an asphalt truck, uh, spilling over and roads everywhere. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, man, you were like a comic I was too afraid to meet. <laughs> and that was Pete Johansson. He ended up becoming my roommate years later in Vancouver and all this sort of stuff. And he toured with me and a ton. We ended up becoming, obviously, great friends. And, that was, and I was too shy to meet him a year prior. And he came up to me after my show when the first time he saw me. So it was, I guess, just meant to be kind of friends. Was there... Uh,
0: I was doing some Google searching today. Yeah. <clears throat> Public speaking is the number... Th- 13 phobia in the world.
1: I thought it used to be number two. I know. So we've I was dropped. Expecting so people are like, higher. I guess now with YouTube and all the everybody Probably. having their channels, people yeah. aren't afraid. Because for a while, we were doing good. We were numbered the second. I think even one time, I think Seinfeld even had a joke. We were the number one phobia in the world. Number was two it? was death. So people were more afraid of public speaking than they were <laughs> of dying. So, you know, I guess you'd rather be at the funeral than speaking at it. That yes. was Seinfeld joke. So, that was in the 80s though. So maybe now everybody's like, that's yeah, no big deal. I 13, the, that's a big drop. I know. From number one. I was expecting it to be more impressive. Yeah. Not so even that impressive. Everybody can do it. it explains why so many people try stand up now. <laughs> yeah, I can do that. Mm-hmm. How do
0: you go from being like super nervous to approach one dude that you saw on stage to just going up there and being like, screw it, I'm going to give this a shot? Um, was that an, Was that like a really anxious, nervous? day that first time on stage
1: well so that wasn't that was the beam before i tried it that was a week prior yeah okay and then i went so i went what happened was i went and watched that show i was like okay i'll just go down to yuck yucks and see what this is about so they had the amateur night they had these guys on and then a week later and actually i was scared on stage. i had a lot of confidence until the, the first night was it was kind of funny because so i'd wrote all these jokes and i had been writing for a year so i was like oh i got a pretty good set together and then that day interesting also Tying to golf is so I don't tell any of my friends, my friend who booked up, he's not coming. I, I'm like, I don't know, guys. I I could suck. Like, I don't want you to be there. This could be terrible. So I go golfing after school with one of my good friends who I'd met at university. So we're not as like long-term tight. But uh he's like, Hey, do you want a beer? And I'm like, no, no. He's like, What? You always have a beer. And I'm like, No, I'm, I'm good. And he's like, Why aren't you having a beer? And I'm like, because I got something to do tonight. He's like, Well, you got a date? And I'm like, No, I, I got something to do. And he's like, What? I'm like, Well, I'm going to try stand-up comedy for the first time. And he's like, what we're coming. I'm coming. So now he like gets a group together. <laughs> so now I've got like 10 people like coming and all his friends and his sister and stuff. So then he's like, Oh, you know, it'd be funny is if you walked on stage with your pants undone, we're like, this wasn't the wash, isn't the washroom. <laughs> <laughs> so I basically did like you guys did. I laughed and I was like, Oh, I guess that'd be pretty funny. I'm a 19 year old kid, but also kind of maybe just sort of nervous about everything. So I get on stage and I kind of have my pants undone and I do that. Nothing like it's not funny. (laughs) There's nothing great about that joke at all. It's terrible. So I'm like, so I went from like confident to like when you hear silence on stage, you hear it like there. It's like, oh, I'm not doing well. Like, it's really hard to pretend you're not. I'm amazed. I've seen people come off like, oh, I killed. And I'm like, no, you didn't. Like to me, I would be walking (laughs) off like that was the worst night of my life. Like, I know when a joke, like, even in my act, I mean, killing it, if I'll do a brand new joke and it doesn't work, like, I know, like, okay, that wasn't good. But that was like, boom. So I grabbed the mic stand and I just basically held on for dear life while I was like, <laughs> oh, no, like, this is going terrible in my head. Like, this is going to be the next, you know, five minutes of my life is just silence being stared at. So I went like from, hey, everybody to, "Ah!" so I just held the mic and then I wouldn't let go. And I just told all my jokes like that. And then once I told my jokes, they went quite well. And they started, each one did better and better and better. And then by the time I got off stage, the club manager was like, man, you're the best new comic we've seen. Like, you got to come back week. And I was like, I need new materials. Like, no, just make that better. Keep coming back and don't do that opening joke. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he didn't say that part, but you know, that, I didn't do that opening joke ever again. That was like the only part that was crap. Everything that I did was fine. There were good, well-written jokes. And yeah. I've seen you
0: a couple times, at least I was trying to remember, I think at least two, both at comedy mix, I think in Vancouver. Yeah. Impressed with delivery, I think. And, and I've gone to a couple amateur nights at comedy mix. Yeah. Some of the younger guys who are just kind of starting out have good material. Yeah. Like the quality of the jokes are pretty good. They just the timing is off. The delivery is off. Yeah. Is there a lot of practice slash time that it takes to understand that delivery?
1: A lot of it it actually is in the the difference
0: in like the pro pros that have Netflix specials and like the guys that are just doing local clubs kind of
1: thing. It's it's a bit of delivery, but it's actually the delivery a lot of it comes from the writing. So mm. there's a rhythm in writing there's n- that you have to have on stage. So, you know, the, the problem with like a lot of amateurs is they have this idea of something funny or, or kind of a concept that gets a bit of a laugh, but comedy is very clear with a setup and a punchline. And if you're not clear in your writing of what's a setup and a punchline, you're not clear in your delivery of when to hit that punchline and when the funny part of that punchline is. So if you know, like, what's the funniest part of that punchline, you have to stop at that point to get the laugh. Right. Now, the biggest thing that amateurs do is they keep talking or they say the funniest part of their punchline in the middle of a sentence. So the audience starts laughing, but, oh, you're still talking. So then they, Ugh. so they, it kills a lot of that. And they're also not clear in their definition of what their setup is. So if they knew what the setup is... And what the punchline is, they, their delivery would automatically be a lot better. Now there's delivery within understanding of like coming where you're coming from some guys and I can get into more and more technical sides of that too. But if you know how to write a joke properly and most amateurs have no clue on how to write a joke properly, even if they come up with something funny, whether through fluke or they're a funny person, if they don't understand that rhythm of what it is... Um, And I could use an example if you want me to for for that. So a joke I have recently is, and and I'll I'll, I'll say the joke and I'll break it down a little bit, but I say I've been traveling in the States a lot and I'm afraid in the States. um, I feel comfortable in Canada. Like I'm afraid of the police in the U.S. i S I'm not afraid of our cops in Canada. Like we treat our cops more like they're hockey referees. Like, (laughs) Oh fuck off. I was not. (laughs) What are you blind? You're offside. Oh yeah. Let's see the replay challenge flag. You know. Okay, so now within that, so you go, okay, kind of delivery. And that's like half-assed delivery in this podcast room. But if you understand, like if you broke that down as a joke, you would see there's a very specific rhythm within the writing that leads to the delivery. So the setup is like, uh, you know, spending time in the States, um, don't feel very safe there, feel much safer in Canada. I'm afraid of the police in the U.S. Not afraid, uh, we're not afraid of cops in Canada at all. We treat our cops like they're hockey referees. So so the first four lines are all legitimate setup lines. They're only done for that. And now that last one sort of becomes a switch from a setup to a punchline line line at the same time. We treat our cops like hockey referees. So that in a way starts now almost the beginning of the joke. So then after that, now it's a straight punchline so that delivery is only, and you'll notice that that the funniest part is short on that. Like, oh, fuck off. I was not like, is just that. Then I, you, there's a pause. Then there's the next one. Pause. Next one. Pause. Final one. Pause. Right? So if you wrote that down and you broke it down like a joke, you would see that each one. Now, if I, an amateur would probably be like, say they even use all the same setup correctly. But in the punchline, uh, they, they instead of like, so, oh, fuck off, I was not. They might be like, oh, I, I wasn't speeding. What are you talking about? Like, like add extra words yeah. to the, oh, fuck off, I was not speeding or whatever. Like, you know, you they would add extra words to that. So you've already hit the funniest point, the peak of the joke, and they're still talking. So that's if you watch amateurs closely and you won't notice that, you'll just go like, oh, that was kind of OK funny or In your mind, you'd be like, that'd be kind of funny, but you won't laugh hard. You won't, you won't get that, uh, because you, there's no conversation within that. With this, it's, I'm cueing the conversation of if you appreciated that, go. But it's like, it's like me asking you a question, you're about to respond and I'm still talking. Mm -hmm. So you will never respond to them. So like amateurs do that all the time is they talk through after they've asked a question. Like, because basically, the question you're asking in stand up all the time is this funny? And then the audience goes, Yeah. And then you ask it again, <laughs> Is this funny? And they're like, Yeah, that's still funny. And then you're like, Again, is this funny? And you're like, Yeah, that's fucking funny, man. That's the rhythm of stand up. But amateurs don't understand that rhythm. So they just keep talking through the question, you're like, is this funny? Cause I think it's pretty funny. And you're like, yeah, well, uh, no, I'm pretty sure it's pretty funny. Do you think it's funny? Cause I really think this is funny. Do you think this is funny? And the audience is like, yeah, man, I, I guess, you know, like you've, you've, they just keep talking through that. So if you, so now their delivery is never going to be good because their writing isn't good. So people sometimes think writing, being a good writer is just under is just coming up with this good, brilliant idea. It's the pacing and writing like, like a poem or, or a script is like, you have to know where the sentence ends. Yeah. And sometimes it can be just adding too many words at the end or like, that's a big thing is putting the funniest part of the thought in the middle of your sentence. The funniest part has to come at the end because that's the end of your thought. If you put it at the beginning, you're rarely going to get a big laugh on that. So, you know, it's, Yeah, it's it's that's the lot of part of writing. Then your rhythm will come from understanding that, and your delivery. Then your delivery is there's different parts of delivery. Do you want me to keep going on sort of this going a little in depth? Yeah, because I'm super
0: confused. Uh, No, sorry, not confused. I'm super interested. Like like, this is exciting. Okay, so
1: so now there's there's a a, something called second circle, which is uh, trying to remember the name of the lady right now. Think of it, British lady who worked at the Oxford Academy and she was, uh, did speech and she worked with, uh, like Zerine McKellen and stuff like that. And she wrote a book called, uh, Patsy Rotenberg. You can look it up the book and it's called second circle. Now there's different terms for this, but she said, why do some actors you just want to follow and watch and, and why do others you not like they saying all the same words, it looks kind of the same, but other people you're just into and others Mm -hmm. not. So like what makes a star versus not a star? And she came up with it, that people talk in performance, even in life, in three circles. First circle, second circle, third circle. And within that, that's basically just a range. Now, the best performers are dead middle second circle. Now, everybody else sort of goes one way or the other. So a first circle person is, if you, like right now in a conversation, we're second circle, right? You're listening You you'll you'll talk and I'll know you're talking without ever having to pay attention. It's not like I wait all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. That's like and if you're in a the most second circle is like have you ever had to break up with somebody or (laughs) like that and you're like okay um, or tell somebody that you love them. That's a big one. Like where you're watching like like you're watching them the entire time. Like are they following what I'm saying? Like so you're kind of like you're fully engaged with what they're saying, but also engaged connected to what you're saying. So that's second circle. So good acting becomes second circle. Like So when you're watching, they're right in with the other actors. So when you see two people and like, they have great chemistry, they're second circle. So in stand-up, your second circle is you and the audience. I'm asking the question, do you think this is funny? I'm watching for your response. Boom, keep going. Now, first circle is when you're just kind of saying it to yourself. So like some comics and actors that are just saying the lines, like, so I went to the store today and it this and that and blah, blah, blah. And they're not paying attention to the audience, right? They're just paying attention to themselves. So everything, they're they're just thinking about themselves and the audience doesn't matter that they're there. Right. Because they're always in their head. And some people pull it off. Like some people pull a bit of that off because audiences kind of laugh at them and stuff, but they don't pull it off consistently because they don't have the, they're not listening. There's no conversation. And then there's no reaction. Yeah. Right. A lot of the good comedians that I've seen live, they'll present a joke
0: and like someone will yell something or there'll be like a really long laugh and then someone will say something and they will be like you're right sir or you know like they'll comment back and it just shows how engaged they are right
1: yeah so they're not fully engaged Mm -hmm. that so this was a perfect example so i was saying then you're like and then you went in but i didn't have to be like keep going because i was listening to you right and that's what good conversation it always happens that way in a podcast it has to be this where we're paying attention now third circle would be, you know, comic who's just like, and then I did this and this, and they're not paying attention to the audience the other way. They're throwing it through them. Mm -hmm. So they're like, here, I'm, I'm throwing this at you. And that can work at times too, but it it can also be very offensive to somebody. And even in a conversation where you're with somebody and you realize they're not paying attention to you. Have you ever had a, you know, you're talking to somebody and they're just talking right through you and you're Mm like, Oh, I, I can just leave this conversation right now. And it won't matter. That's the third circle. So if you want great delivery, you got to be right in between. So you have to be connected to the audience at all times. You're listening to what they're saying, but you also have to be coming true from where you are with what you're saying. And that's when you really hit the peak performance. So if you have those things, you're going to have great delivery. So if comic wants to have great delivery, understand the writing and understand the connection to the audience. And that's all it is. And then everything else will just kind of take care of itself. Do you spend
0: a lot of time writing? And what does that process look like? Is Actually, it like brainstorming sessions and then like editing sessions to make the jokes or put them in the right format?
1: I should spend more time writing. <laughs> I, uh, I write, so I write a new set every year for the Snowden tour mm-hmm. and we just finished in April. So now I've got till January to write 25 minutes, which means that I'll probably have to write forty five to fifty minutes of it because some will just be like I'll start doing it nah that's crap but uh my thing is uh something happens I try to take stuff from my life and then I'll start making notes on it and notes and then usually a lot of my writing happens late at night sitting by myself or whatever and then I'll just make a lot of notes on it and then where I write the best is I was in Calgary a couple weekends ago, I got five shows so I'll start with I'll take my notes out and I'll be like, okay. And I actually went to a restaurant before, sat down, had a couple of glasses of wine, my notepad. And I started really like, okay, boom, 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 boom. Wrote it out, tried it on stage that night. Paid attention, listening to what works and doesn't work. And that's my biggest pet peeve when I watch comics is I'm like, I'll watch them for a year. And I'm like, that line wasn't funny a year ago. Why are you still t- telling it? Get rid of it. That one is okay. Fix it, make it better. Like if they're not listening to the audience, if you're not getting laughs, Quit that joke, like move on, fix it like you every night. So like I had a joke where I, I started where my wife and I, we bought a new mattress. (laughs) I started going, okay, this is going to be funny. I did it on the Thursday night. Wasn't happy with it. Uh, change it Friday, working Saturday by Saturday by the fourth show, killing every show. So I just kept adjusting, adjusting. And I would go back and tweak and be like, well, that's funny. That's not funny. And the interesting thing is I'd actually started by saying we bought a new bed, which didn't work as well as buying a new mattress. Cause my joke was about the more the mattress part than the bed part. And it, things like that can be the visual in people's head of like, so, you know, I was talking about buying a bed it was the most adult thing you could ever do. And then saying like, when you're in your twenties, you don't, you don't care. But then once I changed to a mattress, I'm like, oh, in your twenties, you don't care. You'll drive a $30,000 truck and sleep on a futon, wake up every day. Like you're learning to walk. You know, you're like, I don't care when you get in your forties, you're like, sell the truck, get rid of the Rams room, got one, one good night's sleep, you know? <laughs> and then talking about how we had one condition and we want my wife and I buying together was we just didn't want to feel the other person in the bed. That was our one rule. <laughs> I wanted to wake up every day and be like, you were here the whole time. You know, like, so like that just developed over the weekend. And I would just keep writing all the ideas and thoughts about that and get rid of some and some would work and some wouldn't and but I listen to the audience because mm. the audience doesn't lie. That's the one great thing about up, is they'll lie after the show. They'll <laughs> come up like you were hilarious or, you know what I mean? But they don't lie during the show. If you know, you can hear them. Like you guys right here too. Like I can see when you're laughing, not laughing, you know what I mean? And there's a little bit, um, and you just get to know that like, okay, that was funny. You're not funny. If it's not funny, you better pay attention. And a lot of comics somehow don't seem to pay attention or they don't understand how much mi- laughs they can get. They'll talk for a minute and then get one big laugh at the end or one decent laugh. And they'll be like, oh, that joke works. And I'm like, no, that's the start. Like, it should be like, hey, you know, like my, my rule is I want, if, if my setup is longer than my punchlines, I got a bad joke. I don't care how funny it is. It has to be, it'd have to be the most creative. I'm pushing people in this direction for a reason, but most of the time they just don't know how to get to the joke. They just talk and talk and talk and talk. And so in these tiny little rooms, you know, you can get away with it. And they go and they're like, okay, how come I'm still on amateur night? Cause pros watch this mm-hmm. and they go, well, I see all your mistakes and they don't understand that. They go like, how come I'm not getting booked? I got a big laugh there. And I'm like, how about the three minutes you talked where you never got a single laugh? That's what we're watching for. You know, like a pro golfer watches things and they see what other pros do versus an amateur right away. They're not like, you know, they're going to might see an amateur hit a shot and get a, you know, hole in one. They're not going to be like, well, that guy's an amazing golfer. Cause he got a hole in <laughs> one. They're gonna be like, you got lucky. Yeah, You were a terrible shot. You just hit it one time. Lucky. So if I'm watching a comic on stage and he hits one good punchline, but he has like, I could see that it took him forever to get there. I don't think that person's a professional. When I watch a professional, I'm like, Oh, this guy, or a girl knows exactly what they're doing. They're like, okay, they're boom, everything they're saying is for a reason on stage.
0: Yeah, probably the funniest person I've ever seen live and just went to a random night at Comedy Mix. Yeah. He wasn't on the set list. Yeah. But he showed up. Harlan Williams. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Does he just show up there once in a while? Well, he was filming a TV show in town. I've worked with oh, Harlan quite a bit, actually. Okay. Um, he was filming a show for uh Rogers on City TV. Uh the brother show. It was like him package deal. Yes. Yeah. So he would come down and yeah. he would actually usually get introduced by some weird name or something and never even see Harlan. Yeah. They didn't
0: say Harlan for yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 Cause as soon as he came on stage, they didn't announce I can't remember what they announced him as. It was a couple of years ago. Yeah. But I looked to my buddy that I was with. I'm like, is that Harlan <laughs> Yeah. And like first joke, crazy laughter. So funny delivery so good. Yeah. And it's just I think he was only up there for 15 minutes, maybe. Yeah. But it was fifteen minutes of like my stomach is hurting. Yeah, I physically can't breathe.
1: And he's got like a such a unique Very, character too, for right? sure. Like yeah. so, he can kind of do his thing and his voice, and then if he doesn't even say something funny, he can follow it up with like a a funny, weird expression or look, and and get a laugh. You know, he's got a lot of tools to kind of pull out from and get a lot of laughs. Yeah, yeah, and a Her, good human being too. Good guy is he? Yeah. yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Are you? Are you ever watching yourself back? Are you watching tape of it? Or is it more just gut feel while you're up there?
1: Uh, I don't watch a lot. I watch our special, but I watch, I listen occasionally. Mostly it's just all like I remember. Yeah. And then I am very good at like, if I do something one time, the next time kind of remembering it. Um, especially when I'm doing shows in a row and then that just becomes the bit. And then I'll, sometimes too, I'll go the next day and rewrite based on what I remembered from last night. Um, But I record every once in a while, which is good because I still have habits I don't realize. Like I'll say ums or ahs and things that you want to kind of get rid of that, uh, yeah, just happen on stage. You don't notice that when you're doing it, eh?
0: No. Like I'll I'll listen, I don't listen to all the podcasts, but I'll listen to maybe one out of every three. Mm -hmm. And I pick up on little things like those ums. Yeah. I don't even realize that I'm doing that. Yeah. Or saying like all the time, like I just said, and now again. But it's, yeah, it's annoying when you're listening back and you... But I guess that's the only real way to learn is yeah. to understand it while you're going through it. I guess for me, it's more conversational with people. Yeah. I don't really realize I'm doing it until I listen back to it.
1: Well, you so can I'll also do... get away with that. It, I think if anybody taped themselves for an entire day, mm-hmm. you'd realize how many little dumb things everybody says. Yeah. You know, the the thing is we watch screen and TV where everything's edited and perfected and all of this sort of stuff. So even if an actor did that, they would just get rid of it. Mm. They'd be like, Oh, we'll cut away when he says that and we won't show it and do this because we're always thinking and these things kind of come and we're not always because conversations happen. We're, we're not always just like, it's not a speech. You're not a linear, you know, get to the point thing. It's not like you have people there and you're just like, Oh, I'm going to do my speech throughout, throughout the day. You do that a ton of times. So even while you're in a podcast, you're basically just having a conversation. So those things are going to happen and then happen on stage too, because you want it to be very conversational. Like I don't want to come off like here's a big speech. Mm -hmm. So those things can be help make it real. But if you have too many, then it's a bad habit that you have to kind of fix. Yeah, You just got to fix and get rid of, which makes you the next level. You know, the top guys don't do that. You know, they, they're much more focused on their stuff and have gone through it and put in the effort, you know? They are until they get to sometimes a lazy point where they are just rich and nobody, they don't put any effort in, which happens. For sure. You know, but the guys that usually got there too, for a lot of them were really good at that. You know, I don't think Louis CK had a lot of wasted words in his stuff, you know, he did Bill Burr. But Bill Burr was also very conversational of opinionated that you just like the, you you kind of get into, you know, (laughs) yeah. Like he has that, like, I just want to listen to this guy talk. Right. So are those your a, two favorite comics right now? Um, yeah, those guys are up there for sure. Who else is up there? Uh, let me see who else. I'm a big Chris Rock fan. Okay, yeah. I've always have been. He's been my kind of number one guy. I've always loved Richard Pryor. Obviously, he's passed. But um, let me see. There's a couple of Canadian guys I really like too, like Tom Stade. I always found really funny. Um, you know, uh, Doug Glenn Will always made me laugh guy and then the guys in the tour too like i think zed Lacker crushes it every single time i see him and and so does uh Meyerhug always kind of i was just listening to some of his stuff today because we were we recorded last year's set and i do it and it's just there's a fun silliness i enjoyed and um yeah a lot of guys i brian regan i just watched some of his stuff too and enjoyed i've seen him live and yeah. he's
0: phenomenal live
1: yeah
0: he's the kind of guy like harlan williams like it's the expressions, it's the way that he says stuff rather than... I think Brian Regan's a better you?
1: joke writer than Harland. Okay. Though, like, he's much more polished. Okay. Like, Harland, Harland's sillier and fun. Like, Harland has just got a, like, a kid-like nature to him, doesn't I mean, Brian Regan does too, but Brian is, like, you can tell he's polished those sure. bits. Yeah. Like, worked hard on him.
0: I heard him, he was on the Joe Rogan podcast. Yeah. And uh, I was surprised, actually, how professional he was just in the way that he spoke about his craft like it's a it's a business for him this mm-hmm. is the way that i write jokes i spend a shit ton of time editing i try them out at different clubs for like a, i don't know i can't remember i think he said he had like a 2 year turnaround yeah so he basically like comes up with new material goes to little one off mic shows um does that for like 6 months edits stuff then does a couple theaters and then does a special right it was like very systematized. That's what notes. I'm saying. You
1: can tell in his joke writing, it's way mm-hmm. more polished than Harland. Yeah. Uh, especially if you I mean, I've, I've seen Harland like, and worked with him many times and like, Harland's great, but he doesn't have that. He doesn't write like Brian Regan does. Like Brian Regan is always putting out new stuff and you could see there's not a lot of waste. There's not a lot of ums and ahs in his set. It's, it's points. Like he knows exactly how many words he's saying in each one. Mm-hmm. He's, he's very, very good at what he does mm. and I can see it. You can see, yeah, that makes perfect sense that he's putting that. And then that's what I do now too. In a sense of like, we, I start in these rooms and then we just kind of work it up and then into clubs and all that sort of stuff. And you, but you have to, and I see a lot of famous people that aren't even down and like they're doing a Netflix special or something. You're like, man, they, you didn't even do like 10 shows of this material. Like that's not Chris Rock. I mean, I've seen Chris Rock work a lot and he's, he, he's, he has a work ethic. Like Chris Rock works, polishes a joke does it does it he's i think about three years between specials and he's polishing 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 every joke and he has notepads and notepads and like you go he'll go on stage with several legal pads and like okay flip through this one this one this and he's working it and you could see okay and and you could see when it clicks for him like okay this is going to be good and then he turns into chris rock before he's that he's just sort of walking through the jokes like and then all of a sudden he'll be like, okay, I get where this is going. And then he turns into, all right. <laughs> and then he gets a little Chris Rock and you're like, oh, okay. And, but he just wants to know if the joke works first and then adds, cause I think he knows if he just sold the hell out of something, he could be like, peanut butter's weird. And you're like, yeah, that is, that is pretty weird, man. I mean, Chris Rock, but you know, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there's, yeah. I, I think I, Chris Rock to me is like, I, I just love his, Thought process on comedy as well, too. You know, the way he thinks about it. There's a Talking Funny, have you ever seen that, with Ricky Gervais, Seinfeld, Louis C.K.? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so much. He learns so much as a comedian from that, and it's mostly Chris Rock and uh, Louis C.K., because Ricky Gervais has no clue. (laughs) And then uh, Seinfeld is really smart, but he's so successful and so rich that the rules don't apply to Seinfeld like they do to everybody else. Like Seinfeld, Seinfeld, people go see Seinfeld for different reasons than they go see Chris Rock or say Lucy C.K. before obviously things happen, but um, people go see Seinfeld because it's Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. You saw the TV show and he has hundreds of millions of people mm-hmm. that have seen that TV show. Right. So people will just go to see Seinfeld because it's a bucket list thing. So Seinfeld will not even do a new joke for ten years, and he people will he'll sell out at one hundred and fifty dollars a ticket, and he could play Vancouver fifty times, a hundred times, and they're still, and everybody in Vancouver wouldn't see him, they would want to see him. Where Chris Rock is going, like man, it's the same people that came last time, right. so I have to do something different. Where you know Seinfeld is just like he's just in a mega, he's in another planet,
0: like it's like Tiger Woods in golf, right? Yeah. There's, 60,000 people following him, even though he's eight over par yeah. and the leaders are minus 10 and they have like 4,000 people following
1: him. Yeah. So they, like the guys have different rules too. Like, mm. you know, like they're like, I have to play perfect. I have to do this to get my sponsors. I have to be this and right. this and Tiger Woods, you know, could just be like, I'm not signing a single autograph today. You know, who cares? I've got 800 million other people that will line up and still buy my products. Where, you know, the other guys are like, hey, you, you want, come on over. Like, (laughs) let me kiss your baby, all this. And you're like, they're doing everything they can just to get one sponsor to be happy. Where Tiger Woods is like such on another planet that their same rules don't apply to him. And that's where Seinfeld is. Like when it comes to comedy, he's just like so far beyond stand-ups, right? Like nobody, that TV show was so good and so famous worldwide that Seinfeld can just go anywhere he wants. And Seinfeld also didn't play arenas, which is smart too, because if he did arenas, that would number would go down a little faster and he would have to bring them more, right? If you're playing, he plays Vancouver, he plays 3,000 people a night. If he played 20,000, you know, that's eight times coming to Vancouver. So all of a sudden he'd have to probably have more turnover, all that sort of stuff mm. in his material. Where well, Chris Rock believes that, and one thing we've applied to Snowden in. And I told the guys is that Chris Rock said, it goes, if somebody sees me on TV and then they come see me live, you know, they pay hundred bucks or whatever ticket, they will, and I do the exact same show they saw on TV, they'll leave very happy. They'll be like, oh, that was great. The next time I come back, they're not coming again. right They've seen it on TV. Now they've paid a hundred bucks. They're not paying a hundred bucks to see it for the third time. Like who does that? But if they see me on TV and then I do something completely different and they leave happy, They will be there every single time I come. So with Snowed In, we have to do a brand new set because people come see us and then they come back again. And if we do the same set, they're not coming back. They've already paid now $70 or whatever, $100 over two times to see it. That people just don't, you know, you're not going to keep doing that, right? You're not going to buy a movie over and over again, right? Like, yeah, yeah, especially for that kind of price.
0: You have the tour that is four months? Yeah. So, I guess it kind of forces you to be in a one-year system. Yeah. But do you have that kind of system as well, where like April's done, the tour's done, you're thinking about writing new material, trying it out in local clubs and getting it ready for the tour? Yeah. Is that kind of the big lead up?
1: Yeah, that's exactly what it is. So, And then now also too, I used to do a lot more clubs during the year, because, mm-hmm. but now every year it keeps getting longer and longer. So now this year I did a couple clubs. I've got a few more things in September, but I won't do very many clubs. I'll just save everything for the tour. So once April comes, now it's all about this show in January. So I got to write 25 minutes from May through till, you know, January so that it's ready to go on the start of the tour. And and, and it'll change once the tour starts too, as we go along, jokes will change. And then also, also what happens, you know, like, so we don't see each other throughout the year and there's four of us on the show. And then like this year, marijuana got legal in October. Well, Guess what? All four of us had <laughs> jokes about marijuana being legal. And we're like, uh, yeah, this is getting a little repetitive, I'm sure for the audience. Like, so that all of a sudden you're like, yeah, but I need 25 minutes, you know? So uh, I got to write a couple new minutes here in the middle of the tour. And everybody was like scrambling or something like that. But I, I mean, that's one of those anomalies that happens, but every once in a while, you're like, Oh, you know, if there's the election going on, it, you're just comedians, you're gonna start. And it's fine. They're different jokes. Like we didn't do the same jokes, but if all four of us have jokes about weed being legal like the audience we don't want the audience leaving going like "Oh, you notice every one of those guys talked about <laughs> yeah. Legal? like yeah we didn't see each other for four months all right you know like yeah so do you who at that point would you just alternate nights and be
0: like okay you get to do the weed joke tonight i'm doing it tomorrow
1: <laughs> <laughs> well the good thing is if you go on first you should be allowed whoever yeah. goes on earlier in the show yeah. like hey but you know we guys don't always even watch the other thing too not everybody's even watching their thinking about their show so it's like Hey, didn't you notice I had that same joke 10 minutes earlier? (laughs) Yeah. You
0: said uh, it keeps going longer and longer every year. Yeah. Building steam. I like it. Yeah. You've been doing it for 11 years.
1: We've done 11 years. Yeah.
0: And it's across Canada now?
1: Yes. Awesome. So we started. Did you say you did
0: 65 shows?
1: We did 55 last year. year. Actually, we did 55 cities. I think we did about 60 shows because we do, we did four nights in Whistler. Uh, We did two shows in Kamloops, two shows in Prince George. Um, yeah, I think those are, that's the double. So that brought us to 60, um, the extra five there. Um, so this year we'll be in 65 cities and probably just over 70 shows. And that's, so we started last year, January 3rd in Prince Rupert finished April 15th or 16th in, uh, Grand Falls, Windsor, uh, Newfoundland. So this year we finish. February or April 26th in Fredericton, New Brunswick will be our last show.
0: Is it the same group of comedians that do it every year?
1: Um, well, it's sort of changed a little bit, okay. but it's, we try to keep the same group, but it just doesn't always work that way. Everybody's got their own careers and lives and stuff out of it too. So every once in a while you have to replace or something happens and like, okay, so who's coming this year? And so, but we're going to try this year. I think it's going to be myself, Pete Zedlacker. Uh, Paul Maragh and Deborah Giovanni for the whole four months. Whether that'll happen too, uh, we'll see. Because you know Deborah's got a big career on her own too, so it's 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 tough because everybody's got their own thing. But then they they come together for this. So, but then you know, last year we had actually Deborah did like half of it. Uh, Damon Schritter did two weeks of it, and Erica Sigurdson did two weeks of it too. Right. So it's it sort of depends on you know, trying to get everybody's schedule to work, which is not easy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> what are the crowd sizes like across Canada?
1: Um, it, it varies. Our, our smallest shows is like about 200 people. But like when we're in Whistler, we do the GLC and we'll do it four nights in a row. Yeah. And then our biggest show was just over 1,400 in Victoria. So that was, that was pretty cool.
0: Yeah. What's the biggest show you've ever played?
1: Uh, about 3,000. I've done okay. that. If you're uh, opening for Russell Peters. Did you open for Russell Peters? Yeah. In Vancouver? Yeah. Cool. At the uh, Orpheum. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, we did four shows. So that was funny because, so uh, I was on the way in, you know, it's like Russell's just like, this is 2007 and Russell's like still like, you know, kind of skyrocketing up. Like he went up, he got famous so fast. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, it took him like 20 years and then, you know, gone sort of thing but uh he was getting famous so fast and like he was putting tickets on sale and they would just like sell like in minutes and then he'd add another show another show another show and uh, i remember walking into the show in vancouver and of course nobody knows who i am but the guy's like trying to buy tickets out front and he's like hey anybody got russell peters tickets i'll pay 400 dollars a ticket and i stopped and i was like man, for 400 bucks, I'll bring him backstage. You can meet Russell and hang out. Like, this would be great. How many people in your party? You know what I mean? Like, like I was only getting 500 a show to open for him, you know? I was like, like I stopped. I really thought about this. I was like, I'll just introduce him as a friend of mine. And I'm like, oh, what if this guy just freaks out on Russell? And like, ah, I'm like, ah. I, I, if the guy could have been cool, I probably would have done it. And I'm like, you can watch her from the side stage, get your photo taken with him. <laughs> <laughs> you probably would have paid more than 400 for oh, that. Yeah, he for just that, wanted to yeah. get in the door. Yeah, exactly. Like obviously he was willing to pay 400 to see him. Yeah. And it was funny. So like one of the things that was kind of neat after Russell likes to, he, he probably doesn't as much now, again, on your way up, you're signing every autograph, you know, and when you get to Tiger Woods, you're like, I can't be here for the next three days. Sign everybody's autograph. So but he would sign everybody's autograph. And uh so after yeah, he had a table. So all these people would wait and he wouldn't come out right away. I think that was his way of maybe getting rid of some of the people. Mm-hmm. Or also maybe he just needed a break after the show. I can't really speak for him, but like, but it would be 30 minutes. So there'd be like an hour lineup of people after the show. Out of the 3000, probably like three, four hundred people would stay. So they would come and they'd have like Russell Peters t-shirts and all these things that they would buy or posters that they wanted him to sign. So Russell would sign it, you know, boom, boom, boom. and then he would take it and he would hand it to me. And you could just see like their faces drop like, <laughs> no, don't ruin my <laughs> Russell Peters T-shirt. I don't know who you are. I don't care. You know, and I am like, I don't have to sign this man. You know, like, so like a lot of them would be like, uh, okay, thanks, you know. And the other thing too, it was, it was like, you know, mostly all uh, Indian crowd. So I would have to be like every single time, like, how do you spell your name? <laughs> like, and I like Russell's like bang, bang. And I'm like, uh, one letter at a time on this thing. <laughs> Sorry, I'm an idiot. Uh, but actually the second night, cause I was selling my DVD. I just made my DVD. Then on the second night, the very first person in line had bought my DVD and was waiting in line to get <laughs> me to sign it. And I was like, ah, so one out of 1500 autographs was for me.
0: <laughs> do you yeah. have any favorite cities across
1: Canada on the tour? uh well vancouver obviously uh is always best um you know i think i like i, I love revelstoke like i know it's not a big city in mm-hmm. it but we spend three days in revelstoke and uh it's my favorite because the whole thing snowed in started it to go snowboarding and not pay for it so <laughs> it's all started with the ski hills and then so that's where we still do and then we now have expanded and we play more cities but uh, i spend um we get there and we do three nights and we get sponsored by Eagle Pass heli Skiing that gives us heli, heli skiing And, uh, we stay at the Sutton place. They look after us too. Like the whole town is amazing. The town, uh, is great. And the, the snowboarding is phenomenal. It just, it's just amazing. Best snowboarding in Canada. And then another one that's really interesting is Smithers, believe it or not, is so Smithers, we had done Prince George and then maybe year four guy that owned the snowboard shop emails me and he's like, hey, I want you to come to uh, Smithers. And uh, I'm like, well, we don't have time. You know, and I'm like, why would we go to Smithers? Like we have amazing <laughs> ski hill, all this sort of stuff. Come to Smithers. So I, I kind of looked at our schedule and we used to start in January, like second week of January 7th, 8th. And I'm like, but it was on the island. So I'm like, well, the only way we could do it is if we flew up on Thursday, flew back Sunday because it's Tuesday, we had to be in the island. There's no way we could get up north and all the way back and then make it to the island. Like it would have been getting in like just exhausted so we flew up and we, i'm like i don't know if anybody would be here and we went there and the guys were amazing and uh the guy that ran the snowboard shop jason krauskopf um he took us out got to meet his kids he went snowboarding with his kids and the kid was six posh at the time he was six years old and uh, the kid was phenomenal like a way better snowboarder than we were and then <laughs> like he, six yeah oh the kid was phenomenal like so we, so i didn't even snowboard with the kid I mean, t- jason's taking us around the hill and then there's a the the mountain is right above the town so there's a road that you can take all the way down almost to the town not quite you're still about a mile away because he hey tosh take these kids down so we had a six-year-old leading us <laughs> you know and the kid is doing tricks the entire way like he, there's a log going up on the side going uphill like this he turns that into a rail slide and then does a 360 off of it. And it gets to the bottom. And we're like, I'm like, holy cow. And I'm like, hey, Tosh, he's like, and I'm like, you're a pretty good snowboard. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, can you do a backflip? And he goes, well, I can do it on the trampoline, but I have to get my pump up tunes on. You know, if I to get my pump up tunes on, I can do it on the, on the thing. So I think if I just go on the hill and I get my pump up tunes on, I can do a backflip. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> so now the kid is like competing. He's 13. And he's competing against all these big competitions he's on the Whistler's snowboard team. Uh, gets like he won the Mount Baker solemn. The kid is like sponsored snowboarder and all this sort of stuff. And like, I've watched these guys grow and I know the whole family. I know his wife. I know all these people in the town. So we go there and it's not like we're the comedians, in the crowd anymore. It's like people come and like, Hey, how's it going? Like, Oh, how's your wife? You know, they, we kind of know we went to dinner in Whistler this year. Tosh was competing in Whistler in a big competition. He got second. Um, like off the big thing, he, he did the fire and ice for Trudeau when Trudeau was there at like Whistler on New Year's and like these big, and they come out to dinner with us at highs and, uh, you know, we get to know these people who are part of the community. It's like kind of interesting that we've been going there for so long that it's not just, you know, like, uh, we're the comedians, people like hang out. They, I know his business partner now. And yeah, it's like, do you go back
0: there every year now? Every year. year? Yeah.
1: so we do the same shows every year okay. and we just keep adding to it. So that's what every year we try to add like five or 10 shows kind of thing, about 10 shows a year. And so that's how we started with nine the first year and we're at 65 this next year. Who is the best crowd? I don't know if there is a best crowd. Yeah. Like every crowd is, it's up to me. If they're, if I'm doing my job, they're all the exact same. If I'm doing my job, the laughs are the exact same in every spot. Is that true? Yep. Yeah. It really? should be the exact same. Like this should be this and this. Should be an applause break here or that there or big things.
0: Even regardless of like different demographics, being in more of a white collar town versus a blue collar town.
1: Yeah, it shouldn't. I mean, I will notice that if I do a certain more, like a, if I do a religious or maybe a, uh, you know, climate change joke <laughs> or something in the prairies, it might not get the same laughs that it does, you know, anything else. But if I'm just doing a regular joke, um, it doesn't matter much. You know, mm-hmm. I I mean I obviously I like playing to fourteen hundred people is a lot of fun. If I could do fourteen hundred people every night. I, I don't think there's like where I walk on stage I'm like, well, this city's not as fun as the last. And you know, it can be like you could have a rough show in a city one year and then the next year get a standing O there. Yeah. And it might have been them, it might have been you. Like you have to take a little bit of responsibility as a professional that my job is to make them laugh there. And if I'm doing my job then they will laugh, you know, like, you know, I'm sure that, you know, you ask a, like a hockey player, like, Oh, like, how was that game? You know, they could lose five, two. And then it's not like, okay, well, they're like, they might be like, well, we played bad. And the next night they come up five, two, look at the Stanley cup playoffs, right? Like right. it goes back and forth. So it's a little bit, you have to take it upon responsibility upon yourself. If you're just looking at the crowd, then I think you've made a mistake as a professional It's like, it's your job. To make them laugh, it's not their job to be good for you, so you have to know. And then sometimes it's easier than others, where an audience is like you walk on stage like, and, and if they know us, that makes a big difference. If we want, like, being famous as a comedian is the easiest thing, <laughs> right? Like, it's so much. It's it's not even close how much easier it is than being not famous. Like, even for us, we're not famous, but we're known. We have fans. When we're in a new market that we haven't been to versus a market we've been to, it is night and day when we walk on stage. Now, when we finish the show, that's up to us. Like we went to the Maritimes for the first time this year and we got a ton of standing ovations, but they weren't going crazy when we walked to the stage where when we're in, you know, Victoria or Prince George or some of these other cities, Kamloops, we go on stage and the audience is like going nuts for us before we said our first word but that doesn't mean they're going to stand at the end so that's you know where if you're really famous and people have come to see somebody like when i opened for russell peters he was famous and it didn't really matter what he did they were going yeah. bananas i for example people go like the final show so i'm opening for russell and i'm doing 10 minutes and then the final show he gives me 15 so I, uh, and, you know, and, and, and he's reaching that fervor, right? They've, people have newfound, like, he's my favorite comic, right? And I walk on stage, do my set, do 15 minutes, destroyed. I understand the rhythm of the 3,000 people. It's like one of my favorite sets ever. Destroyed so hard. People are applauding for like a minute. I walk up back off stage. Russell's entire crew is giving me a standing ovation. They're like all oh, this sort of stuff. So I'm feeling very good about myself. The MC goes back on. He goes, please welcome Russell Peters. Russell Peters got a standing ovation walking to the stage (laughs) for a minute straight that he had to be like, all right, let's start the show. Yeah. He did better walking to the stage than I did on the best set I've had. Do you know what I mean? Like that's the difference between fame and not fame is like at the end, they were going crazy for me and they still didn't stand. He started his set. With a standing ovation, that's the difference. Mm. Like it's like they've already loved you. They everything once you like a comedian, everything you they do for the most part is so much funnier than somebody you've never heard of. So like that's the 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 hardest part about stand up getting famous is people like oh you're not famous so you because you're not funny. No, because I'm not famous, you don't think I'm as funny as a famous person. And it's interesting when it happens where I've been on shows with famous people and then at the end of the show, people come up confused, like you were funnier than so-and-so. and But they can't, they can't understand that because that person's famous. He should obviously be a better standup, but that's not always the case. And once that person walks on stage, like I've seen a lot of Netflix specials of famous comics where I'm like, man, if you weren't famous, that you never would have got that because you have like five minutes between laughs. Like there's nothing going on here. Like, what are you talking then? I'll, but people are like, people just sometimes want to be in the same room as a famous person. You know, like people would go see Tiger Woods talk and be like, that was amazing. Was he hilarious? No, not at all. Like, in fact, there's a lot of guys, there are people walk out and like, like a, an interviewer, like this one guy interviewing me, he's like, you know, what I think is hilarious, Barack Obama. And I'm like, Barack Obama's funny, but if he wasn't famous and is a stand up, it would be the most boring stand up you've ever seen. <laughs> But because he's famous and you like him, if he says one funny thing every 15 minutes, you're like, Barack Obama's pretty funny. you know. But if he's doing that in a, as a stand-up and had to compare it, you'd be like, this is terrible. He'd be like the amateur. You'd be like, oh, that could be kind of good. Like that's, that's the quality you need when you're famous versus not famous.
0: What's the difference? And what gets those guys to that level?
1: Well, I mean, very few people are famous for stand-up. Yeah. So start with that. So, like most people that you even know, even only in the last few years, do you know people that are famous from stand up? And that's like 10 years. Maybe there's a few. So, Chris Rock, you know, was famous. but Chris Rock was already on SNL. Chris Rock was already on uh, New Jack City. He'd already done movies, he'd already done that stuff before he got a stand up that was famous because his stand up prior to then wasn't very good. Now you think of George Carlin maybe famous as stand up and run but there's very few people that you can name Louis C.K is one of the few people you know famous that got famous through stand up and then Bill Burr but Bill Burr didn't get famous because of his stand up he got famous because of a viral video he did doing stand up So everybody else you can name almost every one of them got famous through something besides their stand up almost nobody like Jim Carrey People think of his famous standup. You know him because of his movies. Right. You know, Seth Rogen new movies, none of that is standup. Like Amy Schumer, she threw her TV show. Yes, her standup, but if she didn't have her TV show, nobody would know her standup. You know, like uh, almost everyone you can go, well, yes, yes, but what movies and TV show did he did? Brian Regan is an example of got famous pretty much only on his standup. But there's very very but few. Seinfeld level. Of would you know Seinfeld guys? without Seinfeld TV show? I don't think so. Nobody would. No. Nope. He would probably be playing comedy clubs, making a good living because he'd done enough tonight shows, but he did 20 some tonight shows and nobody knew who he was. People don't remember stand ups. Like they remember movies and TV shows. Like stand up is this thing that happens after for the most part. Like, very, it's very, for the amount of famous stand ups there are, if you go through every one of them, you'd be like TV show, movie, TV show, movie, did this, did this, did this. Can, can you think receive? of the biggest one
0: currently that got famous through stand up?
1: Well, maybe Bill Burr. But again, again, yeah. it was a viral video. Right. Like it wasn't because do you know Bill Burr's thing? Are you guy, are you talking about the Philadelphia? The video? Philadelphia yeah. thing, right? Which went viral. And Bill was doing well, Bill's a very strong stand up, but he was doing comedy clubs. And then the viral video went. And then then so he had a few Jim Jeffries. Again, famous for stand-up, but he's not famous because of his stand-up. Yeah. Nobody was sharing his clips because he got punched out on stage. <laughs> so, so even Jim Jeffries, he he doesn't he thinks now he, he's changed. I, Jim Jeffries is like, yeah, I'm famous from the gun bit. People are like, oh, no, 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 no. You didn't get to the gun bit until you got punched out on stage. <laughs> he got punched out on stage. It went viral. <laughs> yeah. And then he got famous enough to do the HBO special. But it wasn't just because somebody saw a bit of Jim Jeffries. Like people will do that and share, but they don't even know the guy's name That if they do share a bit. But bits don't get, stand-ups just don't seem to, for whatever reason, it's a little bit like porn. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like one porn clip where you're like, I know that actress. You know, like you might know a porn actress because she did something else. It's not, you know, this. It's like, you know, you knew Paris Hilton was... Because she was rich, famous, not because she did, like, she did the porn because then you're like, oh, I'm associating that. Yeah. But stand-up is very, like, you just kind of, okay, cool, and you move on. You know, so it's always something else for the most part where these guys get a tour and go on. It's, like, handful, handful of people are famous only from doing stand-up without a TV show or a movie. And some people got enough of a stand-up thing that all of a sudden now they got a movie or a TV show out of it. Right.
0: Yeah. Do you put much effort into... The social media, the YouTube stuff, like what a lot of people get famous on is outside of standup, like you're saying. Yeah. Do you put much effort into that? Or is your thing uh, just like I love doing stand up? I like making people laugh. I'm gonna work on my material and do shows.
1: That's what I prefer. Yeah. I working more at the social media. But again, I think a lot of that social media stuff to me, it doesn't pay off. Like guys are doing it and promoting themselves on social media. I'm like Spend time working on your jokes for when people actually do show up. And a lot of people that have like, I have 150,000 Twitter followers. Yeah. How many of them are at the club on Friday night? Zero. They don't care. Like a lot of those social media followers, if they, they don't follow you because of your standup and you did something on social media, like you have some funny tweets, they don't show up. They don't show up at the clubs. They don't care. And like, they're just whatever they're following you there, you know? So I prefer, like, I think it's more to me about, I get people asses in the seats cause they've seen me live mm. and then they come back because they want to see me live. So if they follow me on social media, so I don't reach out to people, I don't push. In fact, I'm not great at Instagram and all that sort of stuff. I do some of that. We're trying to create a series this summer that we're hopefully filming, which is, but it's going to be a funny series. It's not like, I just think taking photos and stuff and talking about yourself to me of like here, I'm doing this or here like that. It's like, I, I do stand up. Like, you're going to follow me because I take good photos? Like, so are you going to come see me live and pay 45 bucks to see my photo collection? Like, you know, and and most of social media is like, hey, how hot are you? Like, (laughs) 90% of the people who have followers, it's because they have great bikini shots. Like, probably more than that. Like, if you look at everybody who's got millions of followers, they're either famous or they got because they got great body. So what am I supposed to do? Like, uh, <laughs> I was you know say, what I mean? Like I got nothing here. It puts you know? us three at a bit of a disadvantage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're screwed, you know, like, okay. So like, so your buddies will follow you and maybe a few fans, but so with the tour, we have a bit more, like, which is kind of fun, a bit more mm-hmm. because we can show us behind the scenes, a little bit of that. But like, you know, I took a photo yesterday of me golfing and like, oh, who cares? Do which you, for me, do you know? tape the shows? We On do. Tour? We film it every year for a TV special. Yeah.
0: Do you put them, oh, you put on a, a TV special. Do yeah. year so we're going to put well?
1: more of this stuff up this year. Yeah. Um, part of that, we had some editing. The editor would take a little too long. Now we got a new editor that's uh going to get it done. We're actually almost have it done right now. Um And then we're going to put up a few of the clips this year and stuff like that. But then we want to save that for the, the TV as well too. And then we'll see what this web series that hopefully we have that will be able to kind of spin that. Like it's great if you have, like I'm not against people that use have like a YouTube channel that are they're creating stuff and doing things. That's great. But when it's just like, you know, like Instagram photos of yourself, like, I don't know, what does that have to do with up? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's more, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. know. Even with Facebook now, like, I don't want to like post and tell you about my day. If I, you know, some of it's even for my friends, like if I make a good meal or something like that, I'll put it up, you know, like made my own pizza dough and like, okay, I took all the steps, you know, like that's, that's more interesting to me than. You I know, think it's mostly. more just like
0: building the brand to maybe help or boost the profession. So like for me, it's real estate. It's easy to post about real estate, but people get pissed off. So it's more just like sharing tips and ideas and like what we do differently Yeah, to build a little bit of an audience so that when someone wants to buy or sell in five years from now, they're using us. But I think it's more just like building the brand to showcase that this is like your expertise so that people know you as that kind of that guy
1: yeah and it, and it makes sense but mm. uh and, and I get it too like I said we have I have my Instagram pages we have all of those YouTube and Facebook and all that sort of stuff and YouTube makes the most sense too to me is like for sure you're to me it's like you're selling the video like if you're saying like okay I mean you're selling yourself as a real estate agent too you know but why you know why like? Like, why are we watching, you know, am I going to follow somebody, a comedian that I don't know just to see what they did on Saturday night and stuff? Like, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm past that. I don't care. Like if it's a friend of mine, I'd be like, oh, you were hanging out. Like, great. But if you're not a friend, I don't care about your life. Like who gives a shit? You did something really boring. You went to Chili's and had dinner, you know, like, do I need to see posts about that? You know, like it's just all of it. It's a little too much. Like, that's why we're maybe we're now you know, public speaking is 13 is cause everybody's like, <laughs> Hey, we're all doing this to everybody. Like, you know, like I, I look at these times and people are going out and they're like video, like there's 37 like of the, the Instagram Insta stories or whatever of their entire night. And I'm like, when was the phone down? Did everybody just have one the entire time of everything they did? And just like, you know, like this, like, when are you just living the life of it? You know? So I, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a huge social media fan. I do stuff with snowed in because it's not me like my following on my page has like 600 people and a in is 10,000 because I so rarely posted anything when it's me. Hey, here's me doing this. I don't mind going like, here's us doing this or here's a photo of Pete on stage. Here's a photo of Deb on stage. Here's us in a coffee shop. But I don't want, I don't like, I'm not as big a fan of like just trying to promote me. Mm. It just feels weird. You know, I get it. It I does. Know why people weird. do it, but I'm <laughs> old. Missed that, you know. It is what it
0: is, and I just kind of got into it in the last couple of years. But I think it's true what you said is that it's kind of pushed me out of my comfort zone for sure. Yeah, you just got comfortable talking in front of a camera,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is something that was important for me because I wasn't very good at it. Yeah, and I was probably one of those people in that phobia of public speaking growing up as yeah. a kid in high school. Yeah, and so it's pushed me. Now, I have a podcast and I just reach out to random people on Instagram yeah, all yeah. the time.
1: <laughs> you have to. It's
0: so it, it's pushed me uh, and I see a lot of improvement for myself just through social media. Yeah. Which is cool.
1: Yeah. It, I get it. And it's helped people. But I always find like, too, I, I go to Instagram and like so and so follows you. And mm. I look at their thing and that they follow 8,000 people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, no, you don't follow me at all. You're just waiting for the follow back. And then you're probably either going to delete or you're never going to look and my things at all, you've read somewhere that like, Hey, follow people that do this or look for these things. And then they do that. And I'm like, you didn't even care about me at all. Like I never follow those people back. Never. Like I, I don't follow most people. Like if somebody's following me, like unless I know them, I'm like, no, I don't care. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to know about your shoe business or whatever, but you've gone like, Oh, I'm going to follow this. And then they've gone through it. And I get that that works. I get the strategy behind it. I just don't want to be involved in it. And I'm like, I'm not following you back. I don't care. I'm just, I'm just not, I don't like, I don't need to. My life is not going to be better. You know, but he's going to be like, you know, when you, you follow that coffee shop back, your life really turned around there, right? Like, <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm just going to go. Like my life is, I, I I've sort of have now at that point where I've reached a very comfortable position in my career where I can go, I'm golfing for four months. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have to constantly worry about that those social media or who I'm trying to impress. I don't work for other people. I don't need to do that. I do my own thing. I do my own business. And I, I, my thing is like, I care about, did I write good jokes over the next eight months? Not did I get another 500 Instagram followers? Mm -hmm. And I feel like if I do good jokes, I'll get more followers. And yet there might be somebody else that's like, didn't work on their jokes and then gets 10,000 more followers. And maybe they get something or that, or, get a Conan O'Brien or whatever, and maybe good for them. But that's not what I, my life is my life, you know, right? Like I've just reached this point where like, so what I want to do, I want to write good jokes. I want to keep working on that, impress the people that come to see me, and hopefully they bring their friends next time. And that's what I do, you know? And that's what we build with, you know, Snowden is just by like, come see us, laugh, bring your friends, then keep doing that. And if I just keep doing that for the rest of my life, fine until it ends. And then maybe I'm like, man, I gotta work on my Instagram followers. <laughs> yeah.
0: Do you, uh, do you do clubs in your off season? Well, I, or do you just I would try do a to few, like take a big break.
1: I would do a few, but I would do the comedy mix quite a bit. Yeah. But now that's closed, unfortunately, because that's where I wrote a lot of my material. Cause it was close to my house and I would go down there sometimes Tuesday, Wednesday or MC for a weekend. I would do that like once a month, sometimes MC and then headline it twice a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I don't, Like traveling now. (laughs) Like, I traveled so much for 25 years that my, and then snowed in, like I said, next year will be four months pretty much straight. When I get back, the last thing I want to do is pack up and then go to a club that I'm not necessarily super fond of. There's a few I do laugh shop in Calgary and I do hecklers in Victoria a couple times a year, but that's easy. But the last thing I want to do is like, you know, like, club in toronto where we're like oh we've got to come out and they they have they wanted me to do three weeks of headlining and then three weeks of emceeing and then i was like no I'm like well no this is what we do and i'm like i don't i'm not coming out because i need this money to do this you think i want to be emceeing and sitting on a couch for six weeks in toronto <laughs> like i have a life in vancouver and i have my wife and i have things to do like so you can make a lot of money off of me like i don't give a shit like i'm like i'll do this or i don't want it well you're not getting it. I'm fine. Like, cause I can just say no. And it's, it's frustrating that cause I don't want to be gone for six weeks and sleeping out of a suitcase for six weeks straight. And people are like, Oh, and I'm like, no, Trump, like, no, once you've been to every city 25 times, it's not that exciting. You know, I, I still have fun moments, but I'm like, I went to Calgary, left Thursday, back Sunday morning, easy. You know, but I can't, I used to go on the road for like, you know, sometimes three, four months, all the time and are, are you I just did that for years and years and years and you're like nah, being home I know I sound like a curmudgeon old man but it's like <laughs> it's just like being home is like the best I'd rather go down and go to a room and do 10 minutes and then then be in a comedy club in you know Hamilton for a weekend or five days and I gotta, it's just like nah I just rather I do stand up for me not for them fair enough you know
0: What's the big goal with um, Snowden?
1: I want to keep growing it. Mm. Like, I, I think my ideal situation would be I would do Snowden about six months of the year, and I would do a TV show or something for like, so even like Snowden, like four or five months, and a TV show for four or five months and two months off. Like, that would be kind of probably two or three months, you know, like, so if it was like five months and five months filming and two months where I had nothing would be my ideal because i want to take it we started in australia didn't do great the first time we went we want to go back but i want to do that once we're more established even here and if we can get this series and stuff going that would be great but you know the snowed to me is ideal like when i go to a comedy club i'm by myself for the week even if i got an opener and stuff i don't hang out with them they hopefully they're hilarious sometimes they're not (laughs) and then you're just like i don't know what i want to say to you right now like you just they're terrible um sometimes they're great um but when i do snowed in they all four of us we get along we laugh all the time you're playing to a thousand people you're making a good paycheck you're staying in the best hotels you're going out for the nice meals you're staying and like you're driving like in these massive suv suvs so everything is like first class that's easy i don't mind doing that for months straight time flies yeah you know we're going snowboarding almost every day or once a week we go to the nicest restaurant in whatever city we're in And drop whatever nobody sees the bill. The tour picks up the bill, which is me, but (laughs) I see the bill. Uh, but we just do that like once a week. Everybody gets together, we call it team meal night. And we actually do something really fun. Is it started I don't know when it started, but it's been like seven, eight years. Is we do an awards night. So uh everybody gets an award. I think it was when we started selling merch. And then we would take the cash merch and we divide it four ways and then I'm like, okay, I've got an award. And we're like, winner of, you know, like and we would just make up something that happened that week. Like it could be, you know, winner of like, you know, most uncomfortable moment in a restaurant. You know, (laughs) because if somebody did something and the the waitress walked away and was like, no, that's not what I meant. You know, like whatever it is, and you'd be like, oh, and everybody cheers and applauds. And then we go around the table and everybody hands out So I hand everybody the merch money and then you just switch it to whoever you're giving the award to and you get your money back. And we just go for like a nice meal and whatever we can and nicest wine, whatever you want. And that's just like a big, like, Hey, you worked hard all week, fun moment. Do you ever have the other way around?
0: So does, I'm assuming the people, the four of you that are on the tour are pretty professional. This is the last thing I'll ask you. Does anyone ever bomb? Like, are there ever bad nights or is that kind of something that you experience more kind of coming up in the scene?
1: Um, I wouldn't say never. Yeah. There are nights where it's been for whatever reason, a, a struggle. It's funny because, you know, like, you know, in your head, you kind of have like, you know, how you did and how everybody else did. And then there's, there's some nights where you're like, we haven't had, where all four of us have had a bad night, Okay, but we've had, we're like two or sometimes three people have like struggled for whatever reason. And then like, I remember one night this year, I'm trying to remember what city we were in. And we're like, Oh, Zedlacker, you pulled us out on that one. He was on at the end and he just rocked it. And they got Like we got a standing O and we were like, that wasn't us. That was all you. And then there's been other ones too. we like, it's funny too. Like, cause uh, Zedlacker likes to go on at the end. So we let him. And he usually has some big, fantastic closer. But there's like there's nights where we're all killing and then by the time it gets to him at the end, they're just like, you know, they're tired and worn out because they've just seen a lot of comedy and drinking and he can kind of struggle. But then it can be the exact opposite, like the next night. Mm. So it's not, you know, it's not that exact same in that way, but most of the time it is. You know, most of it is like bang, bang, bang. You can almost set a clock to every every single thing, but for whatever reason, just when you're doing five or six shows a week that all of a sudden there's one show and it's, it's usually like if we have to play in a, a smaller venue or a newer city, like again, where we don't have fans, right. um, you know, maybe we're in North Battleford, Saskatchewan, you know, which we've never, you know, never been. And there's like 150 people there or whatever. They don't know what to make of us. And you know, whatever you're emceeing or something, you say something that's offensive off the top or whatever, <laughs> or the exact opposite happens where you hit on something in the hometown as the MC and then you're going up first and you like, Oh, I was in North Battleford. And I'm like, Oh, uh, or you're on the other side. Like nobody ever talks about South Battleford. And then I just started making fun of the other side because it's really the Battlefords and they are just going crazy. And then the other guys are coming on like, I can't follow all this like local material talking about I'm like, I just made it up in the top of my head. I didn't know anything. Right. So like you have that where like something clicks. In a good way, or sometimes something you just do something, and that town is like, "Oh, he doesn't know that we hate those people, right like <laughs> no. you know, so, yeah,
0: is the tour in Vancouver
1: yeah, we're January sixteenth, I believe um we are here, so where do you play the same venue every year uh, Vancouver? we're playing the rio no okay uh we're playing the play the Rio last year, sorry, the january uh the twenty fourth January 24th in Vancouver, the, the big cities are tricky. Places like Vancouver, venues are hard to get because you have people like Live Nation that will book venues right. two and three years in advance and they won't even have acts. They'll just book it. And then they'll just cancel it if they can't find somebody. But there's always some band touring or whatever. so They'll just book it and they'll just book all these holds. So then you got to, have to do, there's a whole hold system when it comes to venues, like first, second, third, fourth holds. And if you're lucky, you can call and you get a venue and you're like, Hey, I want it this night. And then you put a hold down. Um, and then if not, you can go, they might go, okay, you can be second hold or you can be third or fourth. So then you have to try to get that venue. And you can challenge those holds because routing is the the hardest part of the whole thing because you don't want to go like from, you know, Vancouver, Calgary, Kelowna, you want to be like, you mm-hmm. know, just moving from one to the other church driving, and people are like, why would you go there? I'm like, cause you can't get the venue, <laughs> and when you're talking 65 cities yeah it's a it's a puzzle piece that takes me like now i start working on i start working on 2020 in 2018 so now 2019 i'll start working on 2021 after this one is done so i can try to so, cuz i've still got four more nights i got to fill and you're just like sometimes you're just shaking your head like how okay so how can I get from here to here? And they're like, we don't have anything for two weeks. And you're like, but you're next door to the city. We're going to be in the night before, but you want to do certain cities. And then certain cities you want to do on weekends. Cause weekends are just better every time. You know? So if I have a massive venue, I want to play that on a Friday or Saturday. for sure, Because you know, better chance you're going to sell it out. If You're playing a Tuesday. if You're Russell Peters. You can play or Dave Chappelle on Monday night. It doesn't matter. But if you're guys like us, people are like, I don't, I don't want to go on a Tuesday, you know? Like, or I don't want to get a babysitter. Like, I'll go out on Friday or Saturday. So we're in that nobody has to see us range. <laughs> we're hoping people come see us, but they, they do sometimes, but they, they got something better to do. You know, oh, there's a hockey game that night, you know, playoffs. You know, they'll don't want to be against playoffs, right? <laughs> like, hopefully they bought the tickets way before they found out. Even so next year when we're, we're doing Ontario, we're doing it at the beginning of April because I know if I do it at the end of April and Toronto's in the playoffs, nobody might be at our show cool thanks very much for coming on all right thank you very much what
0: was the date for the snowden term maybe? january 24th january 24th yeah it's six months away guys but it's gonna be awesome so check it out uh dan thanks a lot for coming on that well, was a thank lot of you fun for having
1: me cheers all right cheers guys thanks for the yes and no <laughs>